Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron DeMaster. I'm the pastor here. Our mission here is to help you take the next step in developing your relationship with God. We like to say we do here what every good Christian church should do, which is to help you connect with God in a worshipful way and help you grow in your relationship with Him. Our style, it just might be a bit different than what you're used to, but we want you to know we're still true to the Bible. We take God very seriously here, and we want to guide and encourage you in your weekly walk with Him. Right now, we're in a newer series that we started last week called Mondays Matter. Because does anyone dread Mondays? Like, you know, get a case of the Mondays or, right, something like this? I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> right? And, and actually, like, recently there's this video that's been going around this week, I feel like, uh, I've seen it kind of everywhere, of, like, even kids get the case of the Mondays. Check it out. Right? Mondays make us feel that way sometimes. You just don't want to go, be, do. We've all been there, right? We don't want to do anything on Mondays, it seems. As a church, I was just kind of assessing, like, we have professors and counselors and nurses and postal service workers, police officers, stay-at-home parents, retirees, managers, childcare workers, owners, engineers, on and on and on. All these different people that are part of this church. It's amazing how diverse our church is. Yeah, what's not diverse is the Monday law we all feel at times, right? The Monday struggle, it's universal in almost every job, whether you feel your job is extremely purposeful or not. It just feels sometimes there's not enough coffee for Mondays, right? Especially after Your Monday, though, is at home, in the office, online, on the line, or at some other place of work. We all have been there. We all know Mondays can be rough. Yet what you do for work, what you do with your daily life even, how you spend your time, not just your Sunday, it matters to God. Your Mondays matter. And God wants us to align with his vision and his intention for work. Since the beginning, we can see that God has designed us for work. It says this in Genesis. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, God's intended for us to work. Whether it's an 8 to 5 or at home or in a, in a volunteer role or maybe it's just something you do with your free time, God's intended for us to work here on earth. But it's never meant to be this miserable, purposeless, or lack of fulfillment type of work. God has purpose for all work. Last week, we talked about how you can find purpose in all work. Whether you love or hate your job, whether you hate your 8 to 5 job, there can be purpose for why you are there, and there can be perspective changes that can bring fulfillment and bring you joy in your daily work. This week, we're continuing on that same tone, but just like your job or place of work can have purpose, when, whether it's one that you love or hate, God actually has a vision for your life, whether you see yourself as super useful or not. And we're going to talk about that vision. Last week, we saw that we can have purpose by contributing to the world, by representing Jesus to others, and in intentionally seeking God's purpose and direction and living to try to fulfill that wherever we are. And we can have purpose in the work we do. This week, as we think about assessing where we're at, what's God's vision for us, we start to question where we're at, why we're there, why we're doing certain things, what are we doing with our life? And we tend to feel and wonder 
what's the grand story? What's the grand purpose or grand vision for it all? And many times when we're brought to that question or thinking about that, we start to realize that we are being called towards something specific from God. As I was thinking about this calling and vision concept, uh, I thought it had a lot of parallels with shamrock shakes, or at least my relationship with shamrock shakes. Who loves shamrock shakes? Who likes shamrock? Okay, great. You're hungry, you want something tasty, and McDonald's shamrock shakes come to mind. Who normally has that happen? Yes, there's a few people. Oh, like one. Okay, one person. That was the case last service too. It comes to mind, just play with me for a second here. It comes to mind because they're delicious, at least for me. Uh, now, they're delicious, but in addition to that, like, I kind of feel called to them at times. Again, I'm hungry. I have this desire for something delicious. I've had shamrock shakes before, so I have experience with them, and I want more experiences with them. These shamrock shakes, they, I, I'm like kind of drawn to them personally, like, and I almost feel like everyone needs to have one, and I'm kind of upset when someone hasn't had them. Uh, you see advertisements for shamrock shakes, and it's like something that's just consistently on your mind and your body, too. It's heavy sometimes. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're more attuned to hearing about shamrock shakes when you're like really starting to think about them and feel called to them. You dream about them. When you close your eyes, you see shamrock shakes. Just try it once. Close your eyes, and now open them. Boom, shamrock shakes, right? And now you might maybe even want to sacrifice being here and go and get, go, to go and get a shamrock shake. I don't know. Although I'm being a bit silly, right? We're actually having shamrock shakes next week, uh, or next week after both services, so that's kind of fun. And we're doing it because it's fun, delicious, and it's just a great reason to stick around and connect with other people that are part of this church. But it's also a good perspective on how God's vision and calling for your life start to infiltrate your mind and your brain. You maybe have past experience with something. You have a desire of something. You have this impatient heartbreak for something and for others to have it. And it's something that just kind of keeps coming up over and over. And you're ready to go. You're willing to sacrifice for it. Have you been there before with something? Like a feeling there has to be a reason for this vision or this thing. A feeling that your experience should be used. That there's more that should be used by where you're at, what you went through, what you're currently feeling. If that's you, I want you to know God has a vision for your life. God has a vision for all of our lives. It might be where you serve on the weekends. It might be where you work your 8 to 5. It might be who you care for or what you coordinate or what you do in your free time, what you start or what you support. And a lot of those things have to do with your heart's desire what your gifts or past experiences, and what you're willing to sacrifice. Statistics, they say 56% of us, so the question is, how often do you wonder, how can I find more meaning and purpose in my life? Some say daily, some say weekly, some say monthly, uh, but if you kind of just combine the ones of monthly and anything less than that, 56% of us wonder that. 56% of us wonder about what can I do more or how can I find more meaning in my life? I think we've all kind of related with that at some point. Personally, I, I feel I've embraced God's vision for my life, at least what I think is the calling for my life right now. The church, this church and church planting, it feels amazing when you feel like you're aligned with like what God like has intended you for. But I want to say, I think I'm still in that 56%. As things can evolve, I, I continue to pursue and think about it and reflect about God's vision for my life. And I'm there sometimes still today, but I remember also what it's like to not know. 
to not know or to not have clarity on God's vision for your life. And it's a tough position. For me, uh, that position that I felt that was actually like right out of college or right, right as like I was wrapping up college. I partied it up, I intaked it up, I traveled it up, I pleasured it up, I overdid it up. I did a lot of really fun and amazing things that I, I thought were amazing at that time. I got to travel a ton of amazing places like Mexico, Rome, Spain, Berlin, Paris, Brussels, Copenhagen. I got to travel all over the world like, right out of college. I met amazing people. I had amazing feelings and emotions. Some great things that I'm proud of, some not so much. It just kind of all got to a point, though, where it was like, now what? Now what? Like, this feels just about me. I feel there's got to be something more. I feel there's got to be a greater purpose. I feel there's got to be a greater vision for my life. And I want a vision. I want a vision or a greater sense of why I should do what I do every day. So I, I doubled down at that time. I doubled down on what I thought my purpose was, which was working as a teacher and living out my calling as a Christian. But I kept feeling there's more. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. I kept wondering, what's God's vision for my life? Like, now what? What do I do with all these life experiences, the highs, the lows, the feelings to do more, the you know, just the emotions, the different things I've gone through? And I think we've all been there. I think we've all felt this before. I think we've all like wondered, like, why did I go through that trauma? Why do I have this unique opportunity? Why was I educated the way I was? How are my skills and combinations of gifts going to be able to be used in the future? Why are you in the current state of life like when you never thought you would be in this current state? You're craving vision. And to kind of help you dial in on that, we're going to look at a few stories today to help you realize and embrace your God-given vision. If you were here last week, you heard we were looking at the story of, in the book of Nehemiah in the Bible for this whole series. Nehemiah, he's this normal, average guy in the Old Testament of the Bible. He was of God's chosen people, but exiled when Babylon conquered God's people. Well, Babylon conquers uh, God's people. They get exiled. Well, all of a sudden, another like, nation comes in, and they conquer Babylon. And then, this is Persia, actually, and they say, you know what, we're going to let God people go back to uh, Judah, to Jerusalem, and resettle and just do their own thing there. So people are slowly making their way back to Jerusalem and to Judah. And as this was happening, uh, Nehemiah, he was working for a nation that wasn't his own. He wasn't in a job that was like necessarily bad or anything. Honestly, I think it's kind of lackluster. I said it last week, but he wasn't a pastor, a priest, or a prophet, a warrior, or a king, or a leader the things we normally read about. He wasn't any of those. What he was was a cupbearer. In today's language, I like to say he's a wine taster. Now some of y'all are thinking that sounds amazing to be a wine taster, testing king-like wine over box wine, or I guess back at that time, like goat skin wine or the commoner's drink. I don't know. But he tasted the wine for the king to see if there's poison in it. You know, like that was his role. Well, Nehemiah's people are starting to return back to their hometown and rebuild community, the temple, and the city walls of God's people, which is something he greatly desires to see happen, and he inquires, how's it going? Check it out. It's in Nehemiah 1, 2 through 4. We'll look at it. It says, One of my brothers came to visit with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, Things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. 
They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. His heart breaks. His heart breaks. Have you been there before? Like, has your heart been broken about something that brings maybe this type of reflection? Some of us, I think, definitely have. Uh, I like to... I like to kind of try and be the stereotypical man, like, uh, and be manly at times. Like, ah, men don't cry, so I like kind of like, ah, don't cry, Aaron. You know, like when I get like emotional, and that's like not totally true, right? For like men, men don't cry. Men do cry. Um, it's a norm that we haven't completely broken. So like, I like to think like when I see Nehemiah, like, come on, man up. You know, like it's kind of what I think. Um, but as I think about myself, that's not true. And what happens is his heart breaks. He breaks down to things. And as we think about ourselves, have we experienced that with something? And maybe, maybe you're not crying about something, but maybe it's something that's weighing on your heart and it's heavy and it feels like it's break, something's breaking inside you. Uh, so what happens is Nehemiah approaches the king to start pursuing, looking into fixing this. And what happens is he goes to the king and Nehemiah 2.2, it says this. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. I'm picturing, trying to like maybe keep it together, like, oh, fine. You know, like kind of like serious, but like crying kind of at the same time. I'm picturing he's maybe like this kid, but like, I'm fine. Enough? Are you going to miss your mom? No. No? <laughs> oh. You're a little, you're holding it together, and then you break down, and the king notices. Well, Nehemiah, he's sad, and the king notices, but then it says this. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, If it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. He asked the king to do something that the king essentially has zero care to. Now, I want to go back to that verse, and I want to just pause there, because this verse hit me hard this week. Uh, I want you to think, when you do a tough conversation, make a request, maybe it's at work or school or with people, how often do you take the second before you make the request and pray? With a prayer to God of heaven, I replied. That hit me hard, like, I got to do that more often, like the second before I speak. That was a powerful reminder for me. Anyways, what happens next is it says this, after, after I told him how long I would be gone, I would, the, the king agreed to my request. The king says, yes, go, fix your walls. And not only that, he asked the king for additional supplies he needs to build the wall. And he gets it. Nehemiah, we see his heart is broken by the ruins of the wall. He has gifts and influence to get what's needed. And he's passionate about rebuilding it so much so that he's willing to risk influence. All, essentially, all respect he maybe has from the king to get it, to accomplish what's weighing on his heart. These are things that we see stir in him to align his life with the vision or calling God wants him to do. If we fast forward to Nehemiah's story, Nehemiah, he rebuilds the walls. He finds people to help rebuild it. He withstands criticism of opposition, and he perseveres, and he becomes the governor of Judah. Now again, Nehemiah was this average, wine-drinking type of person. But he felt there was something more needed of him. Something more he was to do. And he accomplished this giant task 
with what was available to him. Again, as you think about you, do you feel there's something more you need to do? Maybe it's, it's instead of the work you do. Maybe it's with your free time that you have. Maybe it's with one of your hobbies or as one of your hobbies. Maybe it's one of the things that motivates you weekly. You need to change something. That motivates you enough to make your Mondays matter to you. Again, 56% of us wonder about our calling or wonder about our purpose. Nehemiah found it. He found his purpose. So we're going to reflect on what helped him find God's vision for his life because I think there are a few clear things we can learn from Nehemiah's situation and then we can easily point out and look for ourselves and ask ourselves to see if we're doing those same things that Nehemiah did. The first thing is this. Something broke his heart. Something broke Nehemiah's heart to break him down, to cry, to fast, to pray, out to God. And as you think about your vision for life, what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? The fact that the walls were destroyed and God's people were vulnerable to attack at any time, it hurt him. It hurt him inside. You might be thinking like, meh, it's walls, dude. Like, how big of a deal is that? Right? It's just walls. I mean... It was biblical times, so it was a pretty big deal like to have like, a protective like, space around your fortress or your building as wars were done communally, right? But this was actually a specific heartbreak that Nehemiah identified with, whereas others had other heartbreaks. I'm going to nerd out with you for 30 seconds like with the Bible here, but there are two other things that are in ruins in addition to the walls at that time. God's temple is in ruins, and then also God's law and order and community life is in ruins. People are, they don't really know the law of God. Well, there are different people in Scripture that are prompted by each of these ruins to address it. Zerubbabel, he was called to rebuild the temple. Ezra was called to rebuild the community that God, uh, and the community in God's ways. And then the walls were done by Nehemiah. This is in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, which is in the Old Testament of the Bible, which many years ago were seen as one book, is united. Now, that's my little Bible nerd out moment for you. But these three people each have something that breaks their heart that's different, and it moves them to action. As you think about you, what breaks your heart and prompts you to do action? For you, Maybe, like, children breaks your heart. You just don't want children to be neglected, and that's a thing that breaks your heart. Maybe for you, it's to help the homeless. Maybe for you, it's to help people who don't know God. Maybe it's parents, like, single parents. It just breaks your heart to see that. Maybe it's widows. Maybe it's caring for the elderly, and that breaks your heart. You just want to care for them. Maybe it's something very specific. Maybe it's, like, you care for teenage boys. It breaks your heart that, like, teenage boys struggle with certain things, or single parents, or special needs adults, or hyper adults, or maybe it's kids who don't have an opportunity to play sports, and that's just, like, it breaks your heart. Maybe it's, maybe it's people that drink boxed wine. Maybe that breaks your heart. I don't know. But what breaks your heart, and it's something that you can't get your mind off of, for me, when I, got, when I got back to my faith, for partying it up, living it up, uh, and I started to go to my work with purpose of, of being what I thought was honorable to God. At that time, I thought teaching was my purpose, uh, I, and I thought that was the purpose God had for me. Uh, I wanted to help kids learn, grow, and that was my passion. But then I kind of had like this vision and this feeling for something different. It broke my heart that others didn't have a positive welcoming experience at church. It broke my heart that my friends didn't have anywhere to go or a place that they wanted to go. 
It broke my heart that my friends weren't connected to a church to help them find their purpose and vision and meaning for life. It broke my heart that people felt they had to jump through hoops to be a part of a church. It broke my heart that people felt they needed to believe everything before they belonged to a church. So this heartbreak, it festered in my mind. And I'm not one to sit still, so I started doing. I started doing. While being a teacher, I pursued like how to reach people. I started doing more ministry-like things, like leading Bible studies, uh, being in Bible studies, attending every church thing I could, volunteered with the youth. I helped with church plants, mission trips, because it broke my heart. So I started doing and experimenting with, with this heartache, with the things that were breaking my heart. Again, what breaks your heart? What's festering in your mind that maybe you could start pursuing, to maybe just test the water, so to speak? As we continue to look at Nehemiah's story on my own, I want to add one more other story in. It felt too coincidental for me to like not include this story this week. Uh, I listen to a leadership podcast quite often, and it's my favorite one. It's called the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast, and uh, he does an interview on this podcast. And Craig, he's the host, and he's interviewing the CEO about how they got to where they're at. And I wish I could say the CEO is like something of like, yeah, like duh manly or whatever an nfl team or hunting organization or motorcycles explosions axes we had that last week you know a brewery something like that all right you guys got your man guys you got your like your 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 pictures here but it's actually of it makeup company from a woman named jamie kern lima she founded it cosmetics and sold it for one two or $1.2 billion later, after eight years of developing it. That's amazing. But the interview he does with her, it tells her story of starting as this Denny's waitress to becoming this founder and CEO of this company. It's a story of waiting, of sacrifice, of heartbreak, passion, authenticity, and of her using her gifts. But there's a part I want you to see as she explains her progress learning and what got her interested in makeup in the first place. Because she originally, she did not plan to do that. She originally felt being a news anchor was where she needed to be, and she finally gets to that, and then something happens. Check it out. It's a little longer, so hang in there. Oregon, and then I had this big, this big moment in my life happen that I thought was uh, one of the biggest setbacks uh, professionally that I'd ever had. I, I started developing a skin condition called rosacea, which is hereditary and there's no cure for it. And um, I'd be anchoring the news live. And, and what started happening, Craig, was that I was, would get, uh, get these big red welts like all over my face and my forehead. And uh, so I'd cover them up with tons of makeup and hoping no one would notice um, until they did. And I'd be anchoring the news live and hear in my earpiece from the producer, uh, there's something on your face. You need to wipe it off. You need to wipe it off. And meanwhile, I'm live, you know, and I, I knew, and I glanced down in the little, the little makeup mirror, and I knew what it was. And every time the commercial breaks, I'd try to cover it, and eventually, I wasn't able to cover it, and it would start coming through all the, the broadcasts. And so, I went through this um, big season where I thought, like, okay, God, what is going on? Because I thought I knew I'm in my dream job. This is what I'm supposed to do. And it was a, a big season of self-doubt. Um, and I started, you know, taking my tiny paycheck and, and trying every makeup product I could find out there on the market, and none of them would work. And, uh, and two things happened, Craig. I know I've heard so many of your shows where you really get into detail, where people talk about, like, their, their vision, their mission for their company, and their why, and the problems they're solving. And 
what I didn't realize was happening was it was you know so often right a, a, a big setback is really God set up <laughs> for something we're actually called to do or an impact we're supposed to have and uh, and and what I realized was that oh my gosh why if there's millions of companies out there selling makeup why can't I find anything to work for me and then I realized there's no other models out there with this bright red rosacea saying look this product works and and I had this realization that if I could figure out how to create something that worked for me it'd probably help a whole lot of other people she experienced something that broke her heart personally and that set the course for wanting to do something more for others again what's something that breaks your heart it could be personal to you it could be communal but what's something you think is hurting inside you to set you on course for your vision for life? The second thing we can see that happens for Nehemiah is he uses his gifts, his personal gifts and character traits, and he uses his experiences. Ask yourself, what gifts and experiences do you have? Nehemiah, his current position and experience, it gave him access to the king who made decisions. That is a gift. That is an experience he got to pull from. Nehemiah, he obviously was gifted with personal like traits as well, or spiritual gifts of administration and leadership. If you look at uh, chapter 3, Nehemiah, he's got like a ton of random people working on the gate, or working on the, the walls. Like he's got like high priests working on the sheep gate, on the fish gate. He's got some sons. He's got on the old city gate. He's got another family. And then like on the walls by his house, he's got a whole other family. Like it's like he is coordinating people. He is leading people. And it, he was also this massive, impressive leader. He knew how to handle conflict and motivate and coordinate people. Check this out. It says in the beginning, I think it's chapter 4, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? This is the criticism he's receiving. And then a few verses down, he says this. And then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters. He's encouraging. He knows how to lead. What's a gift you have that goes with your heartbreak. Maybe you have the gift of influence and you can get a lot of people rallied behind a campaign or a fundraiser or a cause. Maybe it's leadership. You know how to lead people to get the action needed done. Maybe it's a tech or a design ability to help market and get the word out there for something. Maybe you have a skill like sewing or plumbing or building or something like that that can actually create the structure or fix the structure. What's it for you? I want to get really practical here for a second. It's a bit of my opinion, but I feel like 20 years ago, the world we lived in kind of constrained you to what you were qualified for, what your degree was in, what you worked your way up the ladder with, and, and like what time you put in. Those are all great and honorable and I think still necessary things today, but really today, what's your intuition? What do people say they see in you? What is the thing you have a knack for that you think is meh, but actually is clarity for maybe your vision so that you can then get qualified, get the degree, or put the time in for? Again, for you, maybe, maybe you're really good at noticing people's gifts and approaching them. Maybe leadership's something for you. Maybe for you, you're, you're really crafty and you like, know what people actually like. So maybe you're a, a designer or some sort of marketing role. 
Maybe you're really good at getting other people to do stuff for you. Maybe you just need to be a boss or, I don't know, a parent. <laughs> but for me, I had a lot of small experiences and lots of things that led up to the thing that broke my heart. I personally didn't connect with the church. I have personal experience with that. So I started to have intuition of what maybe others are feeling when I was trying to create a church that people would connect with. I worked and grew up, uh, as a kid, I grew up like w with uh, my parents as business owners. So I knew somewhat what it looked like to run an organization and lead. I got to see some of that. So it helped me understand church a bit better, the organization of it. I was an educator, so I knew how to teach. I was involved in so much ministry when I tested all those things out and started to go into ministry. I was single when I started, so that allowed me to get a lot done. You have a lot more free time when you're single. This is just me taking a glance and seeing how my skills pointed towards church planting. If we look at Jamie, again, who we looked at before, she pieced together valuable lessons from her first jobs up to where she's at today. Check out what she says about it believe our steps are ordered you know I really truly believe that and there's a lot of people maybe that just know of me as building this billion dollar business um, but no I believe the days I was a Denny's waitress and and bagged groceries at a grocery store and all of those things like the lessons I learned the the, the work ethic the the, the understanding of, of people I think all of those things really um, lead us to to our calling as you think about you, what's your past experience? What do you have a gift in? The last thing I think we can ask ourselves that we see Nehemiah kind of considers and does when we're trying to find out our vision is ask yourself, how far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to go? Nehemiah was willing to use his own time, his own labor, his own laborers to work on this wall. Nehemiah, he was willing to push against the financial struggles even by personally contributing to it. Nehemiah, he was willing to push against opposition and personal attacks. How far are you willing to go? Again, uh, I think there's kind of like subcategories to this, but like if you look here, with your own time and labor, are you willing to push forward with that? Your own dime and expenses and against opposition and personal hurt, are you willing to push and fight through those things? If not, it might not be your vision. It might not be God's vision for you. I feel of those things, the hardest one to like really push through is usually personal, right? It's, it's the opposition that's personal, the last one that we saw there. That's the hardest one to push through. Because let's be real, people can be very negative about things. And honestly, if you look at any good success story, there seems to always have some sort of opposition. Nehemiah, he had people try to stop him. They thought he was a nobody. They didn't like who he was using to build and how he was doing it. Check this out. They even said this in Nehemiah 4.3. That stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along top of it. People are criticizing him, but he pushed through. In my story, like kind of getting into church planning and getting into ministry, there was a time I felt like this intense pushback. Um, I got so passionate about church that I went to seminary, which is like where you learn, like it's a master's program to, to kind of learn like what it takes to become a pastor and the theology behind that. Um, and that was like the choice or the next step that I felt was needed. And I decided to change jobs at that time, work part-time in ministry, and I had like three other part-time jobs. 
and things were going well, uh, I thought. Sure, there's like hiccups, headaches, and hard lessons learned. But I remember one of the hardest, crushing criticisms I got in seminary. It was from a professor. I didn't do so hot on this paper about epistemology, which is how do you know what you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> but it was a first semester class for me, and everything was so new. And my professor gave me some negative feedback and a comment of something like this. It was kind of like this. It says, well, I don't think this will be like the end of your ministry career. And for someone like me, what I'm hearing is, throw in the towel. (laughs) Now, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think he really meant it to be that harsh, but it felt harsh. It was like, am I equipped for this? Do I have what it takes? And I had to decide, am I going to push through or not? Jamie, who we've been looking at, she had a similar experience, and she said uh, she had people specifically say to her, as she's trying to like kind of start her company and sell it to different companies so that they can then sell it in other places, as she's trying to market her product, she had some really harsh criticism over and over, but there's one in particular that I think sticks out, and let's see what she says about it. So we did all the meetings, meeting after meeting after meeting. We entered the diligence phase, right, which is when they start looking into all of our financial projections, our future product pipeline. And it came down to the final meeting, and my husband and I flew up for it. And um, the head guy at the private equity company, he was really kind. His whole team was awesome. Um, And at the end, he says to me, and by the way, this is now after a couple years and hundreds of rejections, right? So we're we're at that under $1,000 in our bank account maybe going bankrupt at any moment situation. And he, we're in person, and he was about three feet from me. And he says to me, um, you know, congratulations. You know, we, we really believe in your product. It's a great product. Uh, but it's a no. We're going to pass on investing in it cosmetics. And I was just like, oh, like devastated, right? And I was like, okay. But I was so used to hearing no at this point. And I said, well, can you tell me why? Because um, feedback is usually a gift. Um, I said, can you tell me why? And he got really quiet, and there was a long pause, and he says, "Um, do you want me to be really honest with you? And I'm like, yes, please. And he says, I just don't think women will buy makeup from someone who looks like you with your body and your weight. Hmm. I feel both Jamie and I and every other person who's trying to live out a vision, you have setbacks, you have opposition, But I want you to hear this. You don't have to be appointed or affirmed by man to live out a calling for God. You don't have to be appointed or affirmed by man to live out a calling for God. If you feel God is going to use you, your uniqueness, your abilities, your experiences, you've got to move forward. You've got to push through. Where do you need to push opposition and embrace, this is me. This is my calling from God. I'm not going to let words or shame or bruises or whatever stop me. Where do you need to assess how far you're willing to go in the personal opposition? And then also, again, in your time and labor, in your, if you're willing to put your own dime, your own expenses into it, for you, it might not be that much. It might not be that much that you're willing to put in. And that's okay. It's okay for you to serve in something that isn't your exact calling. But that should be something you take note of. One of the greatest things I took away from Jamie's interview is she said, sometimes you're just in a position for a season to on-ramp you, to on-ramp you for something else. 
I've been there feeling, why am I here? And then not really knowing. Nehemiah, I'm sure as a cupbearer, was like, why am I here? So as I'm getting close to wrapping up, as you think about yourself, and you think about your Mondays, your 9 to 5 or 8 to 5, your life, are you seeking God's vision for your life? Are you living out God's vision for your life? Enough so that it gives you excitement for your Mondays. Excitement for what you can serve in or volunteer in or get to work for. We see that Nehemiah, his heart broke. He had gifts that aligned with his heartbreak. And he was willing to give anything to make it happen. Is there something you feel that passionate about today? If you are feeling something tugging you for a calling, I want to give you a few couple action steps because uh, that's what we're all about here. Action-based. And the first action step that you could take is, is maybe embracing a calling to both be saved and to be used by God, which comes from accepting Jesus. You might not be a Christian here today, but you maybe feel this deep sense of calling. That's probably from God. He's calling you and wants you to choose him. Tell him you've messed up, you know you've chosen wrong in the past, but you want to accept his forgiveness and you want him to use you for a calling. A purpose. You can, you can say that silently in your head or, or your heart to God, and I can do that with you in a second in a prayer if, that, if that's something you want, but that could be the first step to embracing a calling from God. Another action step for someone today is maybe simply starting to seek God's ways and purpose and then living that out. Start serving on Sundays. Start serving during the week with some place of work or some organization, something that you desire that you feel is like part of that heartbreak. Start doing things that are of interest to you, but you feel is needed. Test the waters out somewhere. You can start serving here at church. There's a ton of different ways you can like, get experience with different types of, maybe it's kids or elderly or care, or like, that maybe could on-ramp you for something. If that's you, write Dream Team on your card and put that in the offering bin, and we want to get you a chance to try different things here. And then finally, for you, maybe your action step is assessing yourself and really thinking about, what are you moved to heartbreak on? Where can you use your gifts? Where are you willing to sacrifice quite a bit? Where is that place that you can go and pursue it like Nehemiah did? I'm going to pray that we act on one of these action steps this week. If you want that, you can pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for, first off, calling us to you. Some of us right now, we feel we want to be used for a purpose. We've never really embraced you or following you before, but right now we're saying, Jesus, we want to follow you. We want you to use our life for something bigger than us, bigger than ourselves. So God, we're saying, please forgive us, lead us, and have our lives be worth something to you. And then God, some of us right now are saying, we're, we're figuring out what that vision is for you, that calling for you. And God, we just pray that you help us figure out what that exactly is. Help us move forward with maybe that, that heartbreak or that thing that's just weighing heavy on us so that we can go towards you and continue to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.